Alright, here we are in, in Mark chapter 4. Before we, before we read um, the passage together, um, let me just say a few words. Of, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Mark, uh, in this gospel. Uh, last week um, we heard from David and he shared a, a passage from Deuteronomy 6 and challenged us as, as um, families to to uh, be about learning the Word and committing to that in our lives and even showed us a great example of family worship. That was wonderful. Nobody had to get spanked at the end of family worship. So I'm sorry that um, we, you missed out on that element of the demonstration, but you know you can do that in your homes if, um, if you need to. And then um, the week before that, we, actually, we also heard from Chris, um, who... And challenged us with a, another passage from. You were in Isaiah? No. What, you were in one of the prophets, weren't you? I was in Isaiah. You were in Isaiah. Yeah, we we heard from Isaiah, and so, um, so we've had, we've taken a little bit of a break from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to get back into it for the next couple of weeks, and we'll have a few more um, distractions, if you will, um, uh, before the summer is over. We'll we'll come out of Mark, go into something else, and come back. But um, but today I want to talk about the surprising kingdom. Um, the, the two parables we're going to look at today in, in Mark um, show us that the kingdom of God has surprises in store. It's, there, there are unexpected things about God's kingdom. Think about God's kingdom. We've talked about it, bef- we've talked about it since February. Um, God's kingdom is His, His rule and His reign in the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our King. He came in, in the first century... Of, of our history. He came to be king, but he came in unexpected ways, in some surprising ways, and he's revealed himself not just to be the, the king ruling with a rod of iron, but a king who, who came to give his life for those that he loves and for those that he rules. So this kingdom of God uh, concept um, has some some twist to it. Has some unexpected. There's an unexpected nature to it. And so I, I want us to look at these these last couple of parables that Mark writes down in this fourth chapter of his gospel, and see how those care those those. Um, See how the the nature of the kingdom of God is a surprise to us. Have you? Um, have you expected something and then had it turn out to be a little bit different in your own life? Uh, we've, all, we've all had some, some surprising circumstances or where we expected things to be a certain way and then, whoa, hey, it's not like that at all. Um, maybe you've had that with a job. You thought, oh, this job is going to be great. And then you start the job and you realize it's not what I, what I thought it would be. Or you said, oh man, this is going to be the worst thing ever. And suddenly, I really like this job. This is really good stuff. I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Or you expect a certain thing when you start having children. And then all of your expectations are fulfilled. And how, no, how tiring it is. Or, but then there's these wonderful things that happen and you, and you realize, ah, this is what it's all about. When, they, when your child first calls you daddy. Or when you hear that, 
I love you, Daddy, or whatever it might be. You know, and it's, wow, what a surprise. We just thought they would be crying and screaming and pooping um, their whole lives. And surprise, surprise, they eventually grow up and they bathe and they feed themselves. Right, Maddie? Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. So, but let's look at the, see, the kingdom of God is not just like those little things. Um, in fact, Jesus, Jesus is teaching us that, you imagine, imagine a, a world of surprises in this life. And then just times that by infinity, if you will. That the kingdom of God is so shockingly surprising that it, it should change our minds. It should cause us to think differently about our own personal relationship with our God. And it should cause us to think differently about our relationship with each other. And it should cause us to think differently about our relationship with the world around us. It changes everything. So, let's look at chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 26. I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. And um, if you would, stand with me one more time as, we, as I read this aloud. Um, stand with me in honor of God's Word. As I read from chapter 4 of, of the Gospel of Mark. Verse 26. And he said... The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade." With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this word, and I pray that you will impress it on our hearts, give us understanding of it, and then help us to be obedient to you and to whatever it is that you teach us and challenge us with today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So there are two aspects of this message, uh, conveniently divided between these two parables. Um, the kingdom of God is surprising in how it produces, how it produces grain, or how it produces fruit, or, or what comes of it, and how, how, or how that, how that happens. And the kingdom of God is surprising in what it puts out, what it yields. The, the, so there's the how and there's the what of this surprising kingdom. First of all, the kingdom of God is surprising in how it produces. Notice that um, 
once again, Jesus is, is of course, he's sharing these parables and, and Mark is recording uh, probably these parables that, that Jesus spoke on probably several occasions, for sure, on this one occasion when he was gathered by the sea. If you look back to chapter 4, you can see the context of, the, of chapter 4 and the teaching of the parables. And Jesus is in a boat and he's speaking to them from the water and the people are all gathered on the shore, crowded around and hearing Him speak. And so Jesus is, is sharing these parables of the kingdom and He's using that, that farming, that planting um, illustration or analogy that He began with when He taught them the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower. The, the sower goes out to sow the seeds. And what is He sowing? Jesus explained to His disciples that the sower sows the Word, the Word of God, the message of the Gospel, the message about the Kingdom, the message that Jesus has come and that He has come to do some things that, that nobody else has done and nobody else could do. So He's picking up on that sowing uh, analogy and here He is sharing it again. But look at, look at what the man does. In verse 26, it says, If a man should scatter seed on the ground. And then what, he do, what does he do next? If, if we were thinking about this parable today, and you're thinking about you sowing your garden, right? Sowing seeds in a garden, or, or what our farmers do uh, every year. They put out the seeds, and then what do they do? They, they, they might go out uh, maybe week by week or day by day, and they may pull some weeds, Right? Um, maybe they, they if, if you're like my wife and you're, and you're planting beautiful flowers in the flower bed, you're going to go out every day and you're going to water and you're going to deadhead the little flowers. Right? You take off the little dead flowers and you know, toss them and, so that they can continue to bloom and be beautiful. And You're going to put fertilizer on them or you're going to you know, put some miracle grow on them and you're going to actively tend your garden or your plant or your gar whatever it is, right? But what is the guy doing in this parable? He sleeps and rises night and day. <laughs> he goes to bed. He sows the seed and then every day he goes to bed. He gets up. It doesn't say what he does, but look what's happening. The seed is sprouting and it's growing and, and he doesn't have any clue how. He doesn't know how this happens. He just knows that if you plant a certain kind of seed, you get a certain kind of plant from it. It's just, that's just the way it is. Even now, if you ask farmers, they may tell you a lot more. They may, well, I'll tell you how it grows. First it does this, and, it, and then it kind of grows, and it sprouts like this. And, okay, but how? How does that happen? What is the miracle inside that tiny little seed? What is in there? Well, there's some DNA, and then there's this and that, and there's all of the cells and all of the things that, that are there to create a certain... Okay, but how? How does that happen? We don't know. You could keep asking the how question over and over, and eventually you get to a point where the scientists and the farmers and whoever else say, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. He doesn't know how the seed sprouts and grows. He just knows that that's what happens. That is the natural course of planting seeds. The earth produces, look, by itself. Yeah, the Greek word there is a, is a root word for the word we have 
automatic. Now, don't, don't get too caught up in that in the, the modern definition of automatic, but just so you know that by itself idea gave rise to our word automatic. The earth is producing by itself. It says first the blade, you get a little little sprout coming out and get this little blade, and then the ear, and then suddenly, okay, it looks like there might be something, and then the full grain in the ear. And so suddenly there's fruit or produce. In this case, the idea is maybe, um, he's, he, maybe he planted wheat or something like that, a wheat or barley or whatever. And that grain has finally come into the ear. But he says when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So what do we learn about how this surprising kingdom produces? Well, we can learn a lot from what this man is doing in the parable. He's sowing the seed. He's sleeping. And he's getting up every day. And then, when it's time for the harvest, he's ready for it. The, the nature of the kingdom of God in this case is that it's independent of what the farmer is actively doing. There's, a, there's an independence aspect of it. He doesn't know how it works. He, he doesn't know how it's happening. But it happens. The, the grain, the earth, is producing by itself. It's an automatic type of thing. It's, it's a natural thing. That, see, that, that something would grow. That the, the grain would grow out of the seed. That cherries would grow out of cherry seeds. That pumpkins would grow out of pumpkin seeds. Even if you don't want them to grow in your flower bed, they do it anyway and they take over. And they're about to grow into my garage. It's so crazy, the, the pumpkin vines. But that's what seeds do. Because there's something in the seed that produces all of the information for living things is in the seed's DNA. It's a natural, inevitable process. So what might we do? What might we think about that? What is the message for us? Well, it's all of those things. I think Jesus is trying to teach us that this surprising nature of the kingdom is, is in how it produces. It's natural. It's inevitable. It's an automatic thing. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't know if you know the context of that particular New Testament letter, but Paul is writing to a church that had some issues. And one of those issues was divisions. We have, this is interesting actually, it's kind of interesting. We've got some Yakima missional community people right here, and we've got some Moxie missional community people right here. Could you imagine if our church was, excuse me, was was divided and opposing each other based on what missional community we were in? No. I hope you couldn't imagine. I hope you couldn't possibly have imagined that. But that's the kind of thing that was going on in Corinth. They're like, well, you know, I, I listen to Chris. He's the one with the clipboard. Or, well, I listen to Kevin. He's the one with the clipboard. And that's what they were doing. They're saying, and, 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 
Paul was writing to them saying, look, whether it was Kevin or whether it was Chris, it's God who makes it grow. So stop arguing about those things. Stop debating those. Stop, stop creating divisions among yourselves over who, whose podcast is, is better or who is a better preacher or who's got the better you know, missional community or the better church building or whatever it might be. See what I'm saying? So he's, he, he writes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's God who gives the growth. His servants simply sow the seeds. That's what His servants do. That's what God's servants do. That's what the preachers and the teachers, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists do. We faithfully sow seeds. And God is the one making it grow. We don't know how. How in the world could, could, could somebody... From, from a background of, of sin and depravity, suddenly be changed and transformed and, and, and become a, a warrior for, for, for God, to, for lack of a better term. Look, look around us. Look, ar- look around our church. Those people that you've seen making strides, growing in their faith, changing and transforming, maybe even little by little. Maybe we haven't seen the ultimate harvest, which Jesus is, is referring to the harvest and putting in the sickle as the end of time, that, that future harvest that Joel was talking about in his, in his Old Testament um, prophetic writings. But that ultimate time where at the end of time the harvest will come, Jesus will return and He will bring all of His people in. And at that time, it's going to be surprising the people that you see there. You're going to see all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. I'm kind of getting into my next, the next parable. But that harvest will come. Now we may just see a sprout. Now we may just say, see a blade. Maybe we're seeing an ear. Maybe we're seeing some, some reproduction where the seeds or the, the fruit is, is growing and producing and it's, and it's scattering seeds year after year and we can see new growth. Kind of like my raspberry plants. I say my, it's really Cheryl's raspberry plants. They grow like crazy. Sometimes we don't see that in the church. We don't see growth like raspberry plants. We see growth like orchards that take years and years to bear fruit and then to scatter that fruit and reproduce. But there's an inevitable nature of how the kingdom of God produces. So what ought we to do? We ought to, first of all, faithfully sow seeds. Let's be like the man who sowed seeds. Let's go back to the parable of the sower. The sower sows seeds, and some of them fall here, some of them fall there, some of them fall there and there. And there's an indiscriminate nature to how seeds fall. Let's be people who are speaking the Word of God regularly. Let's be people who are sharing what we have in Christ regularly. 
Let's not be the kind of people that Jesus talked about last time we were in Mark in chapter or verses 21 to 25. You don't take a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed. You, you put it on a stand so it gives light. Let's be the kind of people who put the light out. Let's be the kind of people who are sowing the Word regularly. It, how, often does, how often does truth, with a capital T, come up in your conversations? With, with other people? With your family? Can you think about that? How, unless you're doing family worship on a regular basis, sometimes we don't even talk about Jesus with the people we love most. And it's not scary. It shouldn't be scary to talk to your wife about Jesus. But sometimes we don't. We're not even sowing seeds amongst our loved ones or amongst our Christian friends. We give you opportunities. We're trying to give you, as a church, we're trying to encourage that. Encourage you to be in a discipleship group where you're, where you're sowing the word to one another regularly. We're, we're trying to encourage that in our missional communities. So you're gathering week by week and you're sowing the word to one another and you're growing in that way. But, but how about like the man who just is scattering it in day-to-day -day life? Or it doesn't matter who you talk, talk to or um, who you're about. Um, this, the Word of God is just bubbling out of you. Maybe we need to be like, be like the, the parable that Jesus shared in verses 23 to 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. One of the challenges that we took away from that is, are we actually plugging in our ears to the iPod, so to speak, of God's Word? Are we actually listening to it? Are we, is it coming into our hearts on a regular basis? Because if it's filling our hearts, it's going to come out of us. But if we're never filling our, our hearts, our minds, with God's Word, good luck... Good luck sowing it, because you can only sow what you have. So that's part of our challenge is to be faithful sowers of the seed. And then, for those of you who have tried to do it and you're discouraged by it, be patient. Go to sleep every night. If you've been in the Word and you're, and you're sowing it with your family or your friends or, or relatives or neighbors, go to sleep every night and rest. And be patient. Be patient because the harvest is a long way off. God will do something. He is at work. See, the challenge here is that this inevitable and automatic um, uh, growth in the kingdom takes time. It does. It takes time. So be patient. It's not overnight. You may, you may sow the word to a friend or a loved one a dozen times clearly and compellingly listening to them and knowing what it is that, what do they need to hear what, what would encourage them what would, what, would, what would help them to see the beauty of Jesus it'll take time be patient be patient but then be ready be ready I'm not, a, I'm not um, 
much of a salesman. Like I'm, I would, I would be, a, I would be a pretty bad salesman probably. Um, but, but one of the things that salesmen do is they close the deal, right? They listen, they hear, they go, and then they know just the right moment to say, okay, are you ready to sign? Are you ready? This new car could be yours. Why don't we go step into my office and we'll just you know, fill out the paperwork. Before you know it, you've just bought a new car and you, you're like, what happened? Boy, this guy's really good. Um, that's not me. Sometimes we talk about sharing the gospel and evangelism and we use ter- salesman-type terms. We talk about closing the deal. And um, I'll, tell, I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at closing the deal when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. Um, and Lord willing, I'm, I'm getting better at listening and knowing where somebody's heart is and, and if they're ready to actually make a decision and, and respond with the gospel. But I'll tell you this, be ready for the time when that young person comes up to you on a, on, a, on a Wednesday evening at youth camp and says, hey, can I talk to you? I think I need to give my life to Jesus. Can you help me with that? Be ready. Be ready for that. Because it will happen. And then, are you ready for the harvest? It, the mini harvest. The, the, the harvest that's an anticipation of. It's just a little micro picture of what's going to happen at the end of time. Will you be ready for that? Will you be ready to share Jesus? Here's, here's the questions that need to be asked. And, and here's, the, here's the steps that you can take to come to know Jesus. Repent of your sins. Admit that God, that, that God has given you Jesus and He's done what only He can do for you. Let me, let me take you to the throne of grace in prayer and resolve this in your heart right now. Are you, are, will you be ready for that? So be faithful uh, seed sowers. Be patient with yourself and with other people and with the process. Trust in God the whole way through. Be ready. The kingdom of God is surprising in how it produces. The kingdom of God, because there's a second parable here, the kingdom of God is surprising in what it puts out. Okay? He uses the word here in, the, in our English standard version, um, the word um, puts out. The, 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 the little mustard seed grows and it puts out large branches. Right? So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So this is an interesting parable. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. That's a little kernel. A little kernel of mustard. It's the smallest garden seed. Now, if you want to test, um, if you want to test this, you'll probably find smaller seeds than a mustard seed. Uh, I wish. I, I literally went to the store. I went to one of the one of the garden stores here in town and I looked for seeds. I wanted to find a mustard seed so I could actually show it to you. Um, but nobody has seeds right now. It's the middle of July. I'm sorry. Um, so I don't have any mustard seeds to show you. But if you can imagine um, something in the palm of my hand that's about the size of a gnat. You know, those little annoying things that, you know. Right? It's, it's very, very small. Now, if you test... Uh, if you test this, you'll find that there are other garden seeds that are slightly smaller. But in, 
in the time of Christ, the mustard seed was essentially the, the example exemplar of what, of, of the tiniest little thing. Okay? So the mustard seed represents the smallest, the, the most obscure, the most insignificant um, thing. But what does it do? It grows, and it doesn't grow into a tree, but it go, grows into a large bush. It's the largest of all of the garden plants. He's not talking about oak. It, it doesn't grow into an oak tree, but it, or a cedar, which is, would be more biblical. The cedars were very plentiful in the ancient Near East. But it grows into a very large bush, and it puts out large branches. So what, is ha- what, what, does he, what does he say? Verse 31, it's like a grain of mustard seed. When it is sown in the ground, when the, when the tiniest little seed is sown in the ground, it's the smallest of all, but when it is sown, it grows, and it becomes larger than all the garden plants. It puts out the large branches so that the birds of the air can make its can make nests in its shade. So this, the surprise of this, um, of, of the kingdom in this parable, is that it starts out infinitely, or infinitesimally small, but it ends up being the largest of all. Its beginning is small. Its beginning is obscure. Its beginning is insignificant. But its end is large. It's, it's an inescapable largeness. This is the kind of inevitability that we saw in the last parable coming, coming through in this parable. But the interesting thing about it is that it also... Look what it says. Look what it says. So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's a very interesting phrase. It's, if, we, if you were to see a mustard seed plant or bush, it'd probably be something like this, you know? It's, it's a large, large bush. And um, Then imagine the birds of the air. Imagine all of the birds of the air. I have a hard time seeing all of the birds of the air making nests in this small... Wouldn't they rather make nests in larger trees? You know, aren't there other... Aren't there better places for... Aren't there large... Cedar trees, the cedars of Lebanon even, um, using the Old Testament language. Aren't there bigger trees for birds to, to nest in? Yet Jesus is using this mustard seed and he's talking about the birds of the air. He's, he's using an Old Testament illustration or an Old Testament symbol. Okay, so... There are several places where you can find this. You can find this in Ezekiel a couple places. Um, you can even find reference to something like this in, in um, uh, the Psalms, the birds of the air and the shade. And I think there was even, if I look back at my notes, Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. And each time the birds of the air, birds of the heavens are gathered in a tree. They're gathered for protection, sure. They're gathered um, in order to, to, um, to be uh, part of something larger than themselves. But the, the emphasis is always on the influence, the rulership, the authority of the, of the tree, 
that the tree represents a great nation and all of the birds of the heavens represent smaller nations that are under its authority. So in Daniel chapter 4, you have Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon being depicted as a great tree and all of the birds of the heavens are gathered under that great tree being ruled over, being protected to a certain extent. But all of that power and that influence shows how great the tree is. And then in Ezekiel chapter 31, you have Egypt being represented in the same way. And there, it's a large cedar tree. It's a great tree. It's the largest of all of the trees that grew in that area at that time. But Jesus takes that image of the birds of the air nesting in it and He puts it into the mustard seed. So now we're going to have to imagine not just a large garden plant, but we have to imagine that mustard seed is growing larger than any other tree. It's growing larger than the redwoods and the sequoias of, of Northern California. It's growing so large that all of the, tr of the birds of the air can make its nests in its shade. The kingdom of God is surprising in what it puts out because it puts out or produces or yields something so great that all the birds can nest under it. Are you getting what all of the birds are yet? All of the birds in the Old Testament were the nations. Were all the different nations. So how is the kingdom doing this? Okay, let's just, let's just try to put it in other terms. The mustard seed, so obscure, so insignificant, is a lot like a baby born in a tiny little stable, in a tiny little place, to parents of no means, that, that grows, he grows to be the Messiah. He starts a ministry. He announces the kingdom of God. He comes with authority. He comes with the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But he's rejected at almost every turn. The people crowd around Him and they follow Him and they want Him to do great things and they even want to hear these great things that He says and some people are pricked in the heart and they respond in faith. But many of them turn away from Him when the going gets rough and they fall by the wayside. They're like the ones sown on the rocky ground. They're like the ones sown among thorns. Very few people are there at the end with their faith firmly in this one. He's obscure. He's insignificant to the world. He comes from a nation that nobody thought of. He comes from Judea. That was not a seat of power. That was not a great place. In fact, it was kind of your punishment if you, were an, if you were moving up in the world in the Roman Empire. It was, it was kind of a slap in the face to get assigned 
Judea. Go to Judea. Be the governor there. Well, that's probably going to be your last assignment. (laughs) In an obscure place, an obscure person dies, gives his life for all. And what's the result? Shortly after his resurrection and his ascension, the word goes out by the apostles. And in Acts chapter 2, people from all the nations hear the gospel. They hear the word spoken. Matter-of-factly, straightforward, this is Jesus. This is what you're seeing. Let me explain what's going on in my life. And the explanation is Jesus. Jesus has done it. And so people of all nations respond to it from all places. So eventually we see that in Revelation chapter 7, every tribe, every language, every nation, every people is represented around the throne of God. And they're worshiping the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne. This little mustard seed grows into something that towers above all earthly kingdoms. It it towers above the greatest trees and the greatest heights. See what it yields. See what it produces. See what it puts out. Something for all people. So how would we respond to this? What is Jesus trying to teach us? This, the insignificance of your own faith, the, the obscurity of your own life, and of this church. When I, I keep telling people, when they ask me what I do, I'm pastor, oh really, Where, what, what church? The River Church? Where is that? Oh, out in Moxie? Oh. So I mean, like on every point, they're like, insignificant, obscure, insignificant, obscure. And that's, hey, this is where we are. But, but we should feel right at home with Jesus. Because He started out with just a, a ragtag group of guys spent three years with, and then He dies. But that changed everything. And it should be the same for us. Does it... Does it does that inspire you to, ha- to, to change the way you think about your relationship with God and the Word that He has given us? Does it, does it change the way? Does it challenge the way you think about your relationships with one another? Does it challenge you in the way you think about other people? This seed needs to be sown. The Word needs to be sown. So here's what I, I want us to take from this. One thing about this, from small to smallest to largest kind of message of this parable. Don't be discouraged. That's the downside of the negative side of the be patient. But don't be discouraged. And guard your heart against that. Guard your heart against discouragement by looking to these parables and finding encouragement there. And to looking at wherever, everywhere else in God's Word where He says, Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Things in this life are going to be difficult. 
Starting a church is difficult. <laughs> it's challenging. Don't be discouraged. Galatians 6.9, one of my favorite verses, one that has stuck with me and I think has, has helped to guard my own heart. Galatians 6.9, Paul challenges that, those, those believers with these words. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. That's the message that every one of us, doesn't matter if you're the, the, the church planter or an elder or a deacon or you're a child or anywhere in between, doesn't matter who you are, you, you must guard your heart against the discouragement that will inevitably come to you as you try to live out your life faithfully. You will try, if you try, to, to share something about Jesus with somebody this week. I guarantee you will feel discouraged about it immediately afterward when nothing happens. You think nothing is happening, but the seed is sown and God is sovereign over its growth. So what you do is you go to bed that night and you sleep and you rest in Him. And you get up the next day and you do it again. And guard against discouragement. Do what is good. Do what is right. The kingdom of God is surprising in what it puts out. Its beginning is small. Its end is large. And its message is for all people. For all people. The last thing I want us to be challenged by, and I, I was challenged by this as I thought about this passage this week. There's not a lot we can do about the end, it seems like. The end, the, the harvest, the ultimate, God is going to do that thing. And we think, well, our part is so small. What can I do to influence the end of things? Here's what we can do. If people different than us who have a different um, ethnicity or a different language or they come from a different tribe. Do you know what? Can I contextualize that for you? They have different interests, different affinities. They like different things or they sound or dress differently. If that's what's going to be the makeup of the harvest, in Revelation chapter 7. What are we going to do about it now? Open your hearts. Let me challenge you to open your hearts, first of all, to people who are different, to others. And then, open your mouth and open your homes. Give the invitation. Come worship with us. Come study the Bible with us. So you may think, and here's, here's, part of the, here's part of our challenge. So you may think that you're very open to people who are different and you, know, you, you like to help these people and this group of people. And so um, maybe your, your heart's very open to the homeless in the Yakima Valley, the destitute, people who are unemployed. But maybe your heart's not very open to religious people or people who are somewhat self-righteous. 
mean, we get, and anywhere in between. Our hearts are not very open to people that are not like us and they don't like the things that we like. When we have conversations with it, we, we just smile and nod and go, I, I, have, I have no interest in anything you're telling me. Those are the others. Those are the others who, if they hear the word, will be standing with us around the throne, worshiping God and His Son, Jesus, forever. But without the word sown in them, they will not hear. They will be left out. They will perish in their sins. We have an opportunity with the good news that Jesus has given us to share with the other. Let me challenge you this week. Take a step across the room, across the street, across the cubicle, wherever, across the the yard, wherever it might be. Reach out to the people who are different than you. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's occupation. Maybe it's language. Start a conversation with somebody who speaks a different language. It's not hard to find somebody who speaks a different language than you. You know, at least a different heart language than you. And try to, how about that? Try to have a different conversation. The kingdom of God is so beautiful. It's surprising. It's surprising in, in how it grows without us even being aware of it. It's surprising in what it becomes and at what it puts out at the end. We have a part in that kingdom as a church and as individuals. So may, let, me, let me challenge you. Faithfully sow seeds. Faithfully sow seeds with people who are different than you. Uh, embrace the all-encompassing aspect of the kingdom of God. That it encompasses all people, no matter how different. Be patient. Don't be discouraged. Guard your heart against that with the word. And then be ready. Be ready for people to respond. Be ready for people to fill up the seats nearby you. Be ready for people to fill up the seats in our new building. Be ready to open your homes. Be ready to start something new. Be ready for what God does in growing His kingdom of God in us and through us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word to me and Your Word to Your people today. I thank You that... um, that what you are doing and what you have done is is something that that no amount of strategizing or or organizing um, um, can do. Um, let us be faithful. Let's just let us be faithful, and um, but be fruitful as well. Um, let us be wise in how we go about um, doing it. But um, more than anything, let us see your son Jesus high and lifted up. And the whole 
in, in every aspect of, of, of our response. May we, uh, may we see you do something great and never lose sight of our Savior and our Lord. We love you and give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.